Hey, super friends, my name is Neil, and welcome to episode 58 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV, and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers and or listening device. I am joined, of course, by my very own boy, Wanda Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. How is Martin today? I've been out at work all day, so I've not seen you, so it's a relevant question. He's all right. Oh, how are you? Thanks for that second thought that I had to prompt you visually to do that. But I've, you've been in, you've you've given me the gubbins for the day. As in, you've told me what's going on. I've got a bit of a sore throat, so I've got a cup of tea to keep the vocal cords warm. Very important. Now, for those who've been asking, and believe it or not, I have actually been asked this since the last episode, the whiteboard is still on the floor. We have, however, come to a mutual decision because Martin hates the whiteboard, that it can go on the back of the door. Did we? You said to me you can have it on the back of the door. It doesn't fit in the back of the door. Because if you put it vertically. Uh, but then you got really scared as it go vertical. Oh, so you do remember the conversation. I do. I don't remember coming to a mutual agreement where you made that face. If the builder was to fix the light bulb, but it was going to cost 10 grand. We don't know about that. Well, the only thing that you must have to realise that is, if it goes on the back of the door... You will be the one that's able to see it when we're recording. Not if the door's open. <laughs> is that a metaphor for life? Is the door open or closed? Or is it in the middle? Right now it's open, so you wouldn't even be able to see the whiteboard. Is there even a whiteboard there? What's coming up on this week's episode? Who knows? It's behind the door. No, it's not. It's on the floor next to you. You can read it. Would you want me to read it? I don't know. Can you? I don't know. Well, I can I? <laughs> Oh, it's going to be a long episode. We have a bumper news roundup this week where we gloss over trailers for The Suicide Squad, Shang-Chi, Candyman and Halloween Kills plus Amazon Prime's new action thriller, Jolt. We're also discussing the production starts for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, Knives Out 2 and John Wick 4. We're going to quickly round up the WitcherCon lineup from Netflix and discuss a new Green Arrow young adult graphic novel called Stranded from DC Comics. Plus, we're joined by Butch Lukic, the producer of Batman The Long Halloween, for a quick chat about making that film. And then in our reviews for this episode, we're going to be talking three movies and possibly a comic book, if we have time. We're going to be talking Black Widow, Nobody and Luca. And what's the comic book that you're going to tell us about if we have time? It's a very special edition of Rivers of London. It's the Rivers of London Volume 1 Deluxe Writer's Edition. That's what I said. Very special. <laughs> I didn't think you'd be able to remember what it was called, the full title. Well, very special. That covers it. On with the news. there has been nothing short of a buttload of trailers that have released in the last two weeks so we're going to quickly round up some of those you can check out all of these trailers on our website which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk and you can also see me discuss some of these in our last weekly newsreel which is available on youtube and across all our social media so first up we got a brand new trailer dubbed the rain trailer for the suicide squad 
This trailer very much puts Bloodsport in charge of the team and shows off a lot more of the action from the film and also gives us a better look at Starro, who is going to be one of the antagonists in the film when the Suicide Squad head to Corto Maltese. Just a reminder that the Suicide Squad is releasing in the UK on July the 30th, so that's slightly earlier than the US release date, which is currently set for August the 6th. What do you think of this trailer? Was really good. We got a bit more starfish. Starro. Starfish. And we got a little bit more action. I'm very tantalised for what's going to happen. There's a bit more weasel in this trailer as well, which is looking to be hilarious. And I cannot wait to see what that's going to be like in the final film. Also, what seems to be a lot more of the, the now trademark humour of John Cena's Peacemaker for which it's also now been confirmed that the series is going to debut on HBO Max in uh, January. I think it's January the 16th, I want to say, 2022, that the TV series of Peacemaker will will make its debut. So before we move on to the next trailer, I'm, going to, I'm trying to make this kind of rapid because, you know, we could end up talking hours about all these trailers. Is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down from you? Yeah, be a thumbs up mm-hmm. Okay, thumbs up from me too. The next trailer that released in the last couple of weeks was a new trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So this was a surprise trailer. We didn't really have much forewarning that a new trailer was coming. Again, it shows off a lot of action. There's a few scenes that are in the first trailer, seen either slightly extended or from slightly different takes. We also get to see uh, the the great underwater dragon that's going to form part of Shang-Chi's legend, which looks very, very cool. And then there was the surprise return of Tim Roth's Abomination, last seen in, I think it's 2008's The Incredible Hulk. It seems that he's fighting Wong, who's the uh, supporting character from, obviously, Endgame, Infinity War, and Doctor Strange. What did you think of this one? Uh, I liked it. What do you think about the random return of Abomination? Um, oh. Looks like his design's been slightly updated, which, I mean, obviously it was under the control of Universal when that Hulk movie was released. It wasn't really done in tandem with Marvel Studios, as, apart from the Robert Downey Jr. Um, scene in the end credits where he turned up and we kind of got the first hint of the Avengers happening. I don't know much about the Hulk, to be honest with you, so... I mean, I don't think the Hulk's going to turn up in Shang-Chi. I think it's just a, a random case of this is what happened to this villain and we're finding out where he is now all these years later post-Endgame, stuck in a cage match somewhere with Wong. It's a nice addition, a nice little Easter egg. Yeah, it is. Other than that, I'm still... I'm not on the fence about this film. I'm really excited for this film, but I just don't know enough about the character to be able to say too much about it, really, other than it's a thumbs-up from me for this trailer. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings from Marvel Studios and Disney will hit cinemas in the UK on the 3rd of September 2021. Now in the last fortnight we also got a pair of trailers for Universal's upcoming horror movies Candyman and Halloween Kills. So I'm going to start with Candyman. Uh, Somehow I've got a feeling that you didn't really give a thumbs up to either of these trailers or have even managed to sit through and watch the entire of them. No, but you do realise it's the special anniversary of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which features the song The Candyman. Yes. I'll give that a thumbs up. Well done. <laughs> so first up is uh, director Naya DaCosta's Candyman, which stars uh, Yaha Abdul-Mantin, the guy who plays Black Manta in Aquaman. And it also stars Teona Paris, who was, of course, in... I was going to say Falcon and the Winter Soldier. One Division on Disney+. Plus. Directed by Naya DaCosta, hitting cinemas in the UK on the 27th of August 2021. Now, 
Did you watch Candyman when you were younger? I saw bits of it, not enough to scare the living shit out of me. It was or it wasn't, did you say, sorry? What? Enough to scare the living shit out of you. It was enough to scare the living shit It's about the only horror film that did scare me when I was younger. They did that thing like, oh, do you say it in the mirror? Oh, no, oh I, I always said it in the mirror. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Really? Oh, you shouldn't do that. You're in the countryside. <laughs> what, what, what? So would you say Bloody Mary into a mirror? Oh, really? That was my nana's name. <laughs> I don't think your nana's first name was Bloody. No, but it was normally like, oh, Bloody Mary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you wouldn't tempt what? fate by saying it into a mirror? It wasn't really a thing where I came from Bloody Mary. Oh, okay. Uh, well, well, I, would, I have said Candyman into a mirror, and to this day I'm still here. But I do find uh, the character scary as hell... But I'm really interested to see what Naya DaCosta does with this because it looks really interesting from the from the trailer and quite different. It does have, although you don't see him in the trailer per se, Tony Todd is returning as the original Candyman. So you would know Tony Todd as the voice of... Sav- oh, was he Savitar? I'm trying to remember which of the Flash villains he was now off the top of my head. He was indeed the voice of Darkseid in the Justice League animated movies. But he was also in The Flash as... Oh, he was Zoom, sorry. The voice of Zoom. Why did I think he was the voice of Savitar? Amazing voice. What does the voice of Zoom say? Zoom, Zoom, Zoom! <laughs> You're on mute! <laughs> so it looks like the premise of this film is that the the kind of housing project where the Candyman used to haunt in the original films has been knocked down and gentrified, much like the area of London that we live in. And the the kind of spectre spectre of um, the Candyman is is looming large over the, the the new build apartments that have been been constructed on top of this old housing project. Over the old Candyman, yes, shop shop. shop. And uh, Yara, Yaha Abdul Mantine's character is like a local artist, so it's got some kind of weird and wonderful artistic design to it as well. I'm really interested about it, and so it's a it's a massive thumbs up from me for this one. Is it a thumbs up from you? No, like I said, I I, I watch Willy Wonka. <laughs> it's not really an option in this set of films that we're discussing, well, but okay, I'm, I'm bringing it in. And then the second of the big Universal horror films to release a trailer in the last fortnight was Halloween Kills. So that film is due for release in October. Uh, it's going to be releasing on October the 15th, 2021, directed by the legendary David Gordon Green. Once again, stars Jamie Lee Curtis and Anthony Michael Hall. Also, Judy Greer, Kyle Richards, Nancy Stevens, Andy Machak, and Nick Castle. This one picks up right where the last Halloween film left off. So Jamie Lee Curtis's character is back. She's trapped Michael Myers in her house, which is currently burning down. But if you've watched this trailer, which bear in mind is very, very not safe for work, you will have discovered that Michael Myers has managed to escape the fire completely unscathed and gone on yet another killing rampage. That Michael. I know. So this is kind of a trilogy. So you've got the last Halloween film, which was sort of like a soft reboot into Halloween Kills. And then there's another film, which I think is releasing next year, that the title has gone right out of my head, uh, but will kind of finish out this trilogy of films as well. Seems like they're possibly bringing back an angle from, I think it's Halloween 2, which is that there's something slightly supernatural about Michael, which is why he survives, because he got shot to pieces in one of the old films and didn't die. So there is a kind of, it's not just a man in a mask who's a murderer. There is a kind of, is there some supernatural force behind it? kind of thing going on there. Have you watched any of the Halloween films? No. No? Yeah. Why not? 
Yeah. I have watched The Name Before Christmas, which is set in Halloween time, though. I like that you have alternatives for these that are more family-friendly. I know. I'm just giving... But you've watched Scream, and I find that this is slightly similar in the sort of stabby way. I don't mind Scream. I, I think of Halloween films as like as being like a slasher. It's got a little bit more credibility to it, just because it's from an era where horror was a lot more well-realised than, say, Scream, which was a bit more flashy. But essentially, they're kind of derived from the same place. Mm, no. Okay, okay. So would you give this a thumbs up, this trailer? Yes, I would definitely recommend watching Halloween Town as featured in The Night Before Christmas. Okay, and I, I, I give mine, and I'll give an extra thumbs up for, for Martin for Universal's Halloween Kills, which is in cinemas in October. So we also got the trailer for a brand new property that's coming from Amazon Prime Video this month, which is called Jolt. Officially set for release on July the 23rd, 2021, directed by Tanya Wexler and written by Scott Washer, the film stars Kate Beckinsale, Stanley Tucci, Jai Courtney, David Bradley, Bobby Cannavale, Laverne Cox and Ori Pfeiffer. Synopsis is Lindy, played by Kate Beckinsale, is a beautiful, sardonically funny woman with a painful secret. Due to a lifelong, rare neurological disorder, she experiences sporadic, rage-filled, murderous impulses that can only be stopped when she shocks herself with a special electrode device. Unable to find love and connection in a world that fears her bizarre condition, she finally trusts a man long enough to fall in love, only to find him murdered the next day. Heartbroken and enraged, she embarks on a revenge-filled mission to find his killer, while also being pursued by the police as the crime's prime suspect. Now can I just say I think it's awesome to see Kate Beckinsale back in an action movie. Because where do we know her from? Underworld. <laughs> yes, Underworld as Celine. Celine. It's been... <laughs> Thank you for your impression of... Um... Victor. Victor. Can you remember his real name? Victor. Can you remember his real name? Billy. Bill Nye. Bill Nye. Thank you. Couldn't I genuinely couldn't remember that. It wasn't me just trying to test you. I couldn't remember his name. Well, and I don't know the names. I know. We've seen him. Uh, back to this. We saw him picking up his laundry in London. Yes, I know. Uh, Exciting. What do you think of this trailer? I thought it was just good. It seems like it's coming from the school of kind of nobody, which we'll be talking about soon, and John Wick, and these quite sort of visceral mob, street-level, brawling crime thrillers. But I kind of like it. It does look quite, for want of a better term, sparky. Sparky? Yeah. Aside from the fact that she's electrocuting herself and there's lots of sparks flying. I mean, it's she seems like she's having really good fun with it, and it seems like quite a sort of zippy, witty, sparky script. There's a lot of words there. Zippy, witty, sleepy, snoozy. You forgot to describe yourself. Dopey. Hey, grumpy more links. So would you watch this? Yes. Well, what do you like about this trailer? All of it. That's what you're going to give me, isn't it? What do I have to say? I like it all. Okay, fair enough. Uh, that, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's, that's all you wanted to say. That, that's I fine. I would say it was quirky and whimsical. And <laughs> Is it whimsical? I don't know. Well, she's got a bit of a whimsical humour, isn't she? It's funny to see her with a British... Oh, I suppose she's British in Underworld, isn't she? I don't know why, but she feels extra British here. Well, instead of whimsical. Instead of feeling like normal English accent, this feels like somebody American has gone be really British. So she's like, all right, I'm going to fuck you up. Bloody hell. 
What? Oi, dropped an F-bomb. Yeah, we're allowed one. Are we? Yeah. That's the one. So it's a thumbs up from you. Yes. It's a thumbs up from me too. And uh, just to remind you that uh, this Jolt will be streaming on Amazon Prime Video from July the 23rd, 2021. So a bunch of films have now also gone into production in the last couple of weeks since uh, we podcasted. First up, James Wan confirmed that Warner Brothers and DC films Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom has now started production. That was teased with an image of uh, the film's clapperboard uh, in a very icy looking cave, sort of um, fortress of solitude, somewhere deep in the Arctic type cave. No context, no actors or anything seen in the shot, so it gives absolutely nothing away. But we now know the film is in production. Not a lot we can say about that one, really, other than excited. In production. Hmm. We've seen the first set photos from Knives Out 2. So the first film, which came out in 2019, I want to say, was released by Lionsgate. The second film is actually being produced and going directly to Netflix. Oh. Benoit Blanc returns, so Daniel Craig is back alongside Benoit Blanc. Yeah. He's a blank. Blank Blanc. Got it to see a Blanc. <laughs> Fair enough. Benoit Blanc, played oh. by Daniel Craig, returns, and it is once again written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who directed Star Wars The Last Jedi. Expected you to go boo hiss then. Why? Was the Star Wars film that no one likes? Well, it's Luke Skywalker and a lactating alien. Oh, I forgot about the lactation. But then you love Knives Out. I do like a bit of Knives Out. There you go, that's why I wanted to go there, because I just wanted to give you a quandary. We don't know very much about this one, but there is some new casting, so it's a brand new ensemble. Would you like me to rattle off who is so far cast in Knives Out 2? Um, if I say no, you're going to do it anyway? Yep. So, also starring in Knives Out 2 is Catherine Han. The villain from One Division. It was Agatha all along. Do 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 do. Oh, but for Sparky. Dave Batista, Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, is also in this film, along with Jessica. There was a lot of uh, there's a lot of MCU people. You've got Jessica Henwick, the um, the sidekick from Iron Fist, also from Game of Thrones. Oh yeah. Ethan Hawke, Edward Norton. Madeline Klein, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, and Janelle Monet are also on the cast so far for this film. I don't believe there is a release date set as yet, but production is now underway. Also now in production is John Wick 4. Keanu Reeves returns, obviously, once again, as the titular character, following on from John Wick 3, the first of the John Wick films that you saw. Mm-hmm. Tentatively titled John Wick Chapter 4, it's currently expected to release on the 27th of May 2022. Casting announcements are, obviously, Keanu Reeves returning, alongside Bill Skarsgård, Lawrence Fishburne, Scott Adkins, Haruyuki Sanada, that's a big one, so that is, of course, uh, Hanzo Hasashi from Mortal Kombat. Also in this film are Donnie Yen, Shamia Anderson, Rina Sawayama, and Ryan Castle. I don't know Ryan Castle. He doesn't have a picture and his title is just Agent. But, you know, he's in the film, so good on him. Once again, directed by Chad Stoheski and written by Michael Finch, Shea Hatton, and based on the characters by Derek Colstead. So Derek Colstead is the guy who wrote the first John Wick film and also wrote Nobody as well. 
again, this one was teased with just a, an image of a of a chair. I think it's Keanu Reeves's chair from the set, which just says John Wick four on the back, and then now in production. So very little that we know about this film, um, but very much looking forward to it releasing next year. Netflix and developer CD Projekt Red have confirmed that they will be holding their first ever WitcherCon on July the 9th. Like many other cons running this year, WitcherCon will be entirely online. The full lineup includes a number of interactive panels, each of which also holds a host of exclusive surprises from the Witcher live action series and the forthcoming anime feature, so you won't want to miss out. The event hosted by Julia Hardy, will also be studded with special short-form content, giving never-before-seen insights into the production and creative processes behind the Witcher universe. Now, I have to point out that although CD Projekt Red, who are the original developers of the Witcher games, are involved in this, there aren't going to be any announcements about any future Witcher games. This is focusing on the TV series. So... Similar to DC Fandom, the way that WitcherCon is going to run is they will air the whole block of panels and it will then air again as a repeat straight afterwards. So you've got two uh, chances to catch the whole thing. First up is The Witcher Season 2 Deck of Destiny featuring Anya Chalota, Freya Allen, Mimi Kaiser, Paul Bullion and Lauren Schmidt-Hirsch. That will be followed by Memories from the Path, Stories Behind the Witcher Games with CD Projekt Red, The Witcher Beyond Video Games again with CD Projekt Red, Geralt Arivia will have a special panel with Lauren Smithrish again, Declan Debara, Blaj Augustniek, I'm probably butchering that name, I'm so sorry, and Philip Weber. Finally, a special spotlight conversation with Henry Cavill titled Tales from the White Wolf will wrap up the con. You'll be able to catch the entire thing streaming on Twitch and YouTube on July the 9th. Head to witchercon.com for more information on that one. I would imagine we'll get our first proper trailer for Season 2 as well, which will be dropping that day, which is quite, quite exciting. Very good. We've seen a couple of little teasers so far, but we have not seen a full trailer as yet, so this is going to be the first chance for Netflix to show off what's going to be coming when Season 2 drops later this year. Will you tune in for WitcherCon? Um, I don't know. I'll watch the highlights that you show me. Okay. So make sure you tune into that on Friday this week. Now, before we dive into that interview with Butch Lukic on Batman The Long Halloween, that just leaves me time to tell you about a brand new middle grade graphic novel coming from DC Comics next year, Green Arrow Stranded. Set for release on March the 1st, 2022, this one comes from writer Brendan Deneen, who wrote The Ninth Circle, and illustrator Bella Hasala. It's a new take on Green Arrow's classic origin story and stars a younger version of the hero. He's going to be 13 years old when he lands on Lian Yu, and it's going to follow him kind of growing up whilst stranded, rather than seeing it be an adult Green Arrow. We've only seen the cover art for this so far, but it looks really, really cool. You can check it out now over on our website, www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. But this looks like it's going to be a really fun addition to the DC middle grade line. It's the third book that they've announced so far for 2022. You've also got the release of Green Lantern Alliance, which is arriving on April the 5th, 2022, and Shazam! Thundercrack, which is arriving on June the 7th, 2022. What do you think of the cover art for this? It's really cute, I think. It's cool. It's just a very young Ollie sitting, kind of fashioning a bow and arrow out of sticks while sitting on top of his crash plane. But I think that gives away quite a lot. I feel like I've learned everything I need to learn from that cover, so I'm ready for that. As I said, it's going to be releasing on March the 1st, 2022, so watch this space for plenty more news on that book when it arrives. 
So that leaves me with the great pleasure of introducing you to Butch Lukic, who is one of the producers on Warner Brothers' Batman The Long Halloween Parts 1 and 2. We sat down recently for a chat to talk about making this film, but Butch has a long history of working with DC, which goes all the way back to Batman the Animated Series. He has been working with DC for a, a very long time now on some very high-profile and very cool properties. So the the guy has a, has a lot of DC knowledge in his head, and it was, it was awesome to sit down and chat with him about this very cool new movie, which is available now on DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, and digital. Do not forget that Part 2 is releasing on July the 26th. Anything important about July the 26th, Boy Wonder? Not that I can think of. It's my birthday. Anyway, here's Butch. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Hi, Butch. How are you doing today? Well, I'm good, Neil. How are you? I am very well, thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you. I've uh, I've done a few of these interviews now with cast members from across these films, and your name is mentioned pretty much every single time. So it's nice to finally talk to you. Well, well yeah, well, you're welcome. So let's... Let's go back to the beginning on The Long Halloween. Uh, how did the idea come about to adapt this one, and, and why was now the right time to do it? Um, well, again, mainly it was... Uh, we had a roundtable meeting with DC Comics and Warner Brothers Animation and Home Video, and I I joined in with Bruce Tim, James Tucker, and a few other guys, and we were discussing what... Warner Home Video definitely wanted, which was they had a list of their top 10 uh, home videos that they wanted, that the fans wanted released or made into animated movies. And on top of the list was Long Halloween. Uh, At the time, no one really wanted to work on it because they figured they've already mined stuff from the storylines that they, and they were also doing their own. versions of things that weren't, you know, so they didn't want to go back and adapt verbatim the long Halloween book. Uh, So after that meeting, I just said, look, if they don't want to do it, I'll do it. And that's why it was handed handed to me. (laughs) Okay. So So really the only reason it actually got done was because I said I'd do it. (laughs) Well, uh, having watched part one, I'm I'm glad that you did. Yeah, yeah, it could have sat there another 10 years. Wow. Without oh. anyone touching. <laughs> now, now, now it does feel like the right time. It just, I don't know what it is about it, but it does, something about it feels like the right time for this. And it just, it, it works so well in watching it. I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes from part two. But obviously you've got Chris Palmer and Tim Sheridan back together who, uh, who'd worked together on Superman Man of Tomorrow. How was it working with them on another animated project? Yeah, no, I mean, these, those two I, I got involved first on Long Halloween. We did that before we did Man of Tomorrow. Man of Tomorrow was done later. We mm-hmm. ended up, uh, I hired those guys to get in Long Halloween, not, you know, and that's where we were going to continue forward. Uh, but what happened was production, I ended up uh, finishing almost the whole movie, the part one, and then we got shelved because Matt Reeves, and Warner Brothers uh, felt that they were going to probably adapt Long Halloween into uh, the next Batman movie. Uh, so we okay. had to be, but it didn't. Eventually, they decided they're not adapting it, and we can move on with clearing uh, Long Halloween for release. So that's why, actually, it's it's released now. It was act, it was probably supposed to be released in the beginning of 2020. So, wow. but 
we had it fell for a couple of years almost. And, and then I had to finish uh, part one and part two in the last eight months to get them ready for release. And I spoke with Tim last week and he mentioned that originally there were plans for it to have been just one movie rather than two. Can you talk a little bit about making the decision to split it into into two different films? Yeah, I mean, this happened mainly because, uh, one, I was only in it to do one film because I wasn't part of the DC Animated Universe. And eventually I felt, well, okay, I'll do the movie and then I'll probably have to go back to doing a TV production on something which initially at the time we had a DC Access pitch that we were, actually, we were going to do a Batman animated series, uh, me and him and probably and Chris Palmer. Okay. Uh, that's what we would, but that ended up just going away. And we would, because I told Tim and Chris, well, we have to do Long Halloween first before we get that possible series. But that series never happened. So then Tim decided, you know what, I can't adapt long halloween into one movie it's got to be two at least and he wanted three but oh wow i said yeah i said we can do two i can't do three it's too much for me but so <laughs> i think there was enough material there absolutely for two movies and then if we needed to do anything that we we didn't put in the movie we could have put it as a side uh short to expand things which we were planning on doing uh to do a couple of shorts, but those things got put aside because there wasn't, we didn't have the money for that eventually. Um, so yeah, that's the reason it ended up two movies as opposed to one. That's really interesting. It feels, it's interesting that you say it could have been three movies. It feel, Two feels really right for me considering it's kind of sort of 360, 370 pages. It feels like a nice, a nice kind of space to, to breathe with the story over two films. When it comes to the kind of the original, the original book, obviously the, the the artwork by Tim Sale is something that's that's really iconic. When it comes to this this trilogy of Jeff Loeb stories across Long Halloween and Dark Victory, um, was there a time during the development on on Long Halloween that you looked at maybe more directly adapting that art style? Yeah, there was. I mean, initially that's what my plan was, and I was uh, because of Dark Victory where Tim kind of worked out his style fully at that point. I, that's the books that I was going to use as the basis of the style. Because uh, I thought at that point he found his Batman the way he wanted him to look uh, and certain other elements of the characters. And eventually I was going to call Tim to uh, see if he wanted to draw some things out and we could work out, see how it would fit or work for animation. But unfortunately things changed with DC Animated Universe, uh, James Tucker was ending his run and they asked me to continue uh, to create a new shared universe starting with Batman on Halloween. So I ended up having to scrap Tim's style, not all the way, but I had to gear something that that was going to fit some other uh, stories and things that were gonna I was going to need to do to continue on into other movies. So that's why, and I also wanted to get a kind of European look about it. So I found Otto Schmidt. Yeah. Yeah. Who's you know, a good artist online, a great comic book artist. And his stuff I felt was, you know, it's got that look and feel where you can definitely animate it too. So 
and it's something I can carry through uh, more towards other, you know, DC storylines and things. I really enjoyed Otto Schmidt's work on Green Arrow. His his Green Arrow comics are are some really really beautiful books to read. Yeah, they're nice. Yeah. Now you've got a long history of working with DC, and and Batman in particular is very much part of your your legacy of working with DC. What brings you back to working with these characters, kind of time and time again? Well, again, you know, it's a matter of a. Uh, at the time, you know, because no one wanted to work on Batman Long Halloween, <laughs> and that's always been it's been one of my favorite books and stories over the years. And I felt, yeah, it can, you know, it still hasn't been adapted. So everyone's just kind of picked it, picked little storylines or ideas out of it, but they never actually took the whole story in, in context and saw that what, you know, the absolute value of it as a full storyline and movie because it's Batman trying to become Batman, you know, yeah. in his second year. And he's not exactly there yet. So that's the appeal is going back to being able to do a Batman that isn't fully formed yet. Yeah. But he's still got his own, uh, how he, how he deals with things. Are there any other, uh, Batman stories that you feel haven't been mined very well yet, or maybe not very well, but kind of in full when it comes to either animation or live action that you'd like to have a go at? Yeah, I mean, right now they they have been. I mean, but there's certain things I wouldn't mind doing the Rothschild Gold storyline uh, from the '70s with Neil Adams and yeah, you know, the Demon storyline and all that. Uh, definitely, I would I wouldn't mind doing that. But also, Dark Victory yep. was on top of one. You know, to continue and do that would be great. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see that. I feel like for for maybe some fans that aren't as adept with the with the source material they may be no long halloween but haven't had chance to go through the rest of what jeff Loeb told in those stories and it would be amazing to see that brought to life as well well it would be a good idea if even someone wanted to do it as a series yeah it would be better so what can fans look forward to in part two of the story when it comes out well i mean the continued uh Yes, mystery of looking, finding out who the holiday killer is and the twists and turns of events that causes Batman to wonder what, where he is as far as a detective. And obviously uh, Harvey Dent's uh, slide into wherever he's going. Uh, little things like that, of course. And also, the, you know, where the storyline takes us, which I think people will know. Uh, when when they see the teaser at the end of the credits yep. of who else is, well, for the trailer goes that too. I mean, it shows up where the Scarecrow and Mad Hatter and quite a few of the Rogues Gallery comes into the storyline. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, seeing the Rogues. It's it's really nice to see new versions, new designs for these characters as well. I, I really like what you did with Joker in this film, so it's going to be great to see what you do with the others. No, thanks. I mean, that was like with us uh, and Otto trying to figure out, well, how are we going to adapt Tim Sale's version of that Joker with the thousand people? Yeah. It was tough, but, yeah. but definitely Otto went for that Dickinson look uh, with, because it was Christmas time and Joker showed up. So he did the Dickinson look of uh, the Joker's 
you know, pants and long legs and all that. So that helped. I mean, and he kind of, he hit it on the head and even doing the curly cues on the side of the, uh, his hair and everything. And it's a, it's a different version of Joker, but it looks pretty nice on screen. Yeah, it does. It works really well on screen. Now, I'm sure there's probably not much that you can say in terms of what's next after this, but is there anything you can tease about the future of this kind of new version of the animated universe? No, nothing other than <laughs> we're, we're moving forward and expanding from where we're at. So. I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes next. Uh, I have to say I really enjoyed Man of Tomorrow, and I think Justice Society is probably one of my favorite DC animated movies of all time, as is now Long Halloween. It's one of my favorite stories. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes next for, for, for these characters. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I really love Wonder Woman Justice Society too. I just yeah. wish I could do other of it, you know. Well, thanks. Stan Akatic did an amazing job voicing Wonder Woman, so it's, it would be great to see her come back and do some more with that version of the character. It'd be very exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'd love that. That would be great. Brilliant. That is that is all my questions. So thank you very much for, for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, I cannot wait for people to finally get to watch this film and see part two and see how it all comes to an end. Yeah, no, me neither. I mean, again, it's nice that we're releasing it uh, a little closer to, you know, back to back as opposed to waiting yeah. another year to part two, you know. I was uh, I was saying to Too Tim just the other day that part two is actually releasing on my birthday, so it's one of my favorite stories on one of my favorite characters releasing on my birthday. So I can't I really can't ask for much more at this point. That's it for the news this week. So let's roll into our first review, which is for Marvel Studios and Disney's Black Widow. <laughs> Directed by Kate Shortland, the film stars Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova. The film also stars David Harbour, Rachel Weisz, and Ray Winstone. There's a really funny synopsis for this on IMDb. Ready? A film about Natasha Romanoff in her quests between the films Civil War and Infinity War. That's all it says. That is all that it says. Pretty much all that it is, really. Black Widow releases in UK cinemas on July the 7th and then hits Disney Plus Premiere Access and cinemas in the US from July the 9th. Now, I have to say that when I first got into um, going to film screenings and stuff, people said to me, you'll never be able to watch a Marvel film. And then I got to watch Black Widow last week. So a huge thank you to the Disney Plus and Marvel Studios teams for hooking us up with an early showing of Black Widow. Very happy. This is obviously very bittersweet for fans of Black Widow because we already know what's going to happen to her. Uh, funnily enough, the minute that I tweeted that I was watching the film, a whole lot of people got in touch to say, was she alive by the end of the film? As in, like, did this film, was this set in the present day? Did Was she resurrected? Is she back from the dead? Is this Black Widow returning? I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say no. This film is squarely set between Civil War and Infinity War and fills in some of the gaps in information that we we have learned about Natasha Romanoff in the past. So there's Budapest is involved, obviously. Budapest. That's, that's why I said Budapest. Budapest. <laughs> Whilst at the same time, we also are introduced to Yelena, who is uh, Natasha's kind of... I guess you'd call her foster sister. I'm going to go foster sister. Played by Florence Pugh, 
who is very much kind of taking the baton in this film and I um, I'm quite sure now we'll we'll see in the future. It's already been confirmed that she's going to be in the Hawkeye Disney Plus series, but I I don't doubt that she will be in future Marvel projects now that Natasha is is no longer with us. How did you feel about this film in terms of the fact that it's it's kind of bittersweet in giving the character something of a story, but knowing that it's it's kind of not going to lead to a long running franchise of of sequels that star Scarlett Johansson. It was a bit late. Yeah. I Means they could have done this a long time ago. They could have done it a long time ago. And if you if you put that aside, I know some reviewers have said they feel like it's a film that even looks like it should have been released sort of ten years ago in some of the, the harsher reviews of this film. What do you think about that? I would have to agree. Okay. And and why is that? Because it looked like it should have been released ten years ago. In it, but what about it made you think that? Oh God, come on, Andrew Marr. Um, I don't know. It just felt a bit like I was watching Alias. Okay, but with slightly better CGI, only slightly though. Yeah, not to the same Marvel standards of CGI that okay. we're used to. Yeah. I think because you've waited so long for it, they've sat on it for a hundred years. Do you feel like it's now slightly overhyped because it should have been out over a year ago and been delayed and delayed and we're saving it for the cinema, we're saving it for the cinema? Is there a, is there an aspect of that? Could it could there be a similar kind of response to that as Wonder Woman 1984, whereby it, a lot of people felt like it had been overhyped or they'd been waiting too long that any hype they had had kind of fizzled out? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I didn't have much hype to begin with anyway, so... Well, no, I, we anyone that's listened to this podcast before will know that you're not a huge Marvel fan, but it's good to still gauge how you feel about it because there are moments where you do enjoy Marvel as well as being moments where you don't. I don't say I don't enjoy it. Thor Ragnarok. I mean, it's all right. <laughs> okay, well, I really enjoyed Black Widow. Thank you for asking. That's okay. I thought it was a interesting spy thriller which i actually really appreciated i think one of the things i appreciated most about it was the fact that it does feel tonally quite different to a normal marvel movie do you agree i agree but i do think that there are some aspects of it which do feel a little bit dated i i know that some reviewers have said they felt like there were no stakes in this film because obviously you know what's going to happen to her but i didn't feel like that for me it felt like a victory lap or like there could have been a, I don't know, like the very last shot of the film could have been her falling to her death off the cliff and that was just the last memory that she had before she hit the deck or something. There was, I don't know, I've, there was sentimental value to it for me with the character. Yeah, I can see that. I agree with you. I do think that the visual effects did appear to be a bit below par for Marvel. Not all the way through. There were just certain moments where it felt like green screen was very artificial or things just didn't quite line up properly. But on the whole I thought it was I thought it was okay. I think the action is great and that's probably the, the best part of it. There's a, some interesting pacing in the there's quite a lot of action in the first act, and then it does slow down a bit in the middle before picking up at the end. And there is that typical Marvel trope whereby 
when you hit the third act, it's like, we need to go as big as possible, which I don't think all their films need to do, particularly something like this that's quite sort of street-level, visceral, brawly type action. But I appreciate why they feel they need to stick to that part of their formula, because it's what they're known for. What do you think of the story? I mean, it was a nice story. It was a good spy-esque story. If this was, and it probably will be, uh, the the last time and the only solo time Natasha, Black Widow, so Scarlett Johansson's character, gets to be in a film like this, is it a satisfying story for her? For her, for a sort of one and done? Well, I mean, it's just one and done, isn't it? So it feels a bit sad, really, but that's it. Hmm. Would you like to see more from her? Well, it just seems like, but like I'm not really invested in it because I'm not going to get to see any more of it. So. Okay. So that kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Yeah, you're like, oh, well, you know, Robert Downey Jr. got, what, 25 films or something? Well, I mean, he was... So he had his three Iron Man films, and then he was obviously in Avengers, Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. So he had nine films, plus a couple of, like, stinger cameos. So she had, what, Iron Man 2, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Civil War... Uh, Winter Soldier, I'm forgetting Winter Soldier she was obviously in uh, then she had Infinity War, Endgame, Black Widow she's had 8 films, she's only really had sort of maybe 1 film less than Robert Downey Jr yeah but I mean she's never headlined a film, this is the only time she's headlined a film it's not Avengers and Black Widow is it? no, not Black Widow and the Avengers no so okay uh, just verging slightly into spoiler territory here so if you if you've not had a chance to see the film yet we're not going to go too deep into into story spoilers but there's a there's a few things that i just want to touch on just to get your temperature check on it starting now so this is your warning no avengers cameos so how do you feel about that i am fine me too There was a little bit of me that would have liked to have seen her have maybe one more scene with, with Hawkeye, just because they were together at the end, and that was the sort of special relationship. And I did feel his presence was awkwardly missing from the flashback to what originally happened in Budapest. But other than that, I was really proud that they stuck to their guns, that this was similar to WandaVision. This was her story. So it didn't need a Robert Downey Jr. or a Chris Evans for fans to be like, oh no, we got... We got more Iron Man, or we got more Cap. Well, this was her moment for her to be squarely the focus, and I, I'm really proud of them for, for sticking to that. Any thoughts on Yelena, Florence Pugh's character? How do you feel about her potentially being sort of the new Black Widow or a new equivalent of in the MCU moving forwards? Um, I don't mind her. I just, yeah, it's all right. I quite liked her character. I felt like there were moments where she sort of outshined Natasha a little bit. I particularly liked the running gag between them about uh, Black Widow's hero pose. I thought that was funny. I thought you were dabbing there. No. No, I thought, yeah, they had good chemistry and good... There was really good chemistry between them. Witty banter. Hmm. Yeah, very much so. I also thought David Harbour was really good in this film as Alexi. Rachel Wise is good as well. Some of the reviews have said she feels underused. And I guess when you think back to what she was like in the first Mummy film. She's, hand, she's you know... Oh, that's the lady from The Mummy. I was going to say it to you while we were watching the film, but I thought there's no way I need to point this out. That's why I keep seeing things on Twitter be like, give that woman her own film. 
I was like, yeah, they should give her her own family. She was good in The Mummy. Didn't realize she was in Black Widow. Yes, so she was Melina. She was the mum of the Foster family. What a name. Melina? Yeah. Why? Means blood in the poo. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say it's a character from Mortal Kombat, but yes, yes, Melina, blood in the poo. There you go, it's a bit of NHS it's, knowledge imparted on the listeners. That's all I hear when somebody goes, Melina. I'm like, oh God, I'll get the kit. Right, how the hell do I move on from that? Uh, yeah, so I, I think she was capable of more, but I liked what she did in this film. I think the only real major issues I have with casting or with characters in the film, I think Ray Winston is a great gangster in a British gang movie. I think as a Russian mobster trying to do a Russian accent, it didn't quite work for me. Is it a, is it a Nietz from you? It's Nietz. Uh, only because it was sort of like, I am Russian, but at the same time I'm from the East End. I'm an East End Russian. It was, I don't know, the accent was a bit confused. Uh, I couldn't even do a confused accent. And then I think Taskmaster, if you read a lot of stuff that's out on the internet about what people are looking forward to most, you'll see things like fan favourite villain Taskmaster or legendary villain from the comics Taskmaster. And I think that that will disappoint a lot of people because Taskmaster is not what I think the promo materials for this film make it out to be. So what is Taskmaster in the comics? Is so, it the same origin or different? Different origin. Completely different character, whilst not spoiling for anybody that's still listening, who is wearing the costume. As far as I'm aware, this is a different character, though the the power set is the same. Taskmaster is a villain who can emulate any... Metahuman? <laughs> I've crossed into the DC universe. Mutant? <laughs> yeah, can can emulate the fighting style of anyone that they come across, basically. So they can, you know, they can look at you, study, and fight like you would fight, which is how they're able to you. Well, not you personally. That would be terrible. They just go around sort of camply slapping. Hey, um, I was a two ten gold medalist. Last time, have you know, this is true. Uh, in synchronized swimming, it's- that's how when uh, when they've got the shields, they're very good at throwing that around. There's obviously the very um, obvious scene where they do the claws, does the Black Panther stance with the claws and fights like that. So there's, you can see that there's some Cap, there's some Black Panther, there's a there's a few different fighting styles in there that match other characters. So a yeah, bit of a disappointment. But it sounds what? like I'm now being critical, but I really enjoyed this film. More of an odd job than a Taskmaster. <laughs> yes. Overall, there's a lot to enjoy. It's great to see Scarlett Johansson getting to have a solo film, even if this is her one and only... Yelena is a great character as well. The family dynamics are really, really cool. And I thought Lorne Balfe did a really good job on the score. I have talked on this podcast in the past about the fact that I think that Marvel has quite forgettable scores, apart from the Avengers theme and the the wonderful Portals music from Endgame. But this is this is one of Marvel's better film scores, I would say. If you were to give this film a score, what would you give it? I thought we weren't doing scores anymore. Well, I'm asking on this particular occasion. What is that out of? Ten. Five? Ten? Six, out of ten. Six, four, ten. Um, would I watch it again? You're seeing it on opening night. Am I? Oh. In IMAX. All right. Um, I haven't watched it on the small screen, and admittedly had a small nap in the middle. I would give it a solid. What do you think? I'll give it. I think you'll give it a six. Mm, I'm going to say 
Sally gave me a five or a six. Five and a half. Oh, okay. So I gave this a... What an ash you. Four out of five on my letterboxed <gasps> review. Four out of ten. No, four out of five. Well, I'd have to do mine out of ten. Well, because that's what we used to score on the website. I'm just telling you what I scored it on Letterbox, which is only a choice out of five stars. Well, you've not given me a comparable scale now. Well, sorry. What would you give it out of five stars? I don't know. It's going to have to be a... It'll have to be a two and a half or a three. So that's a three from you? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So as I said, Black Widow is in UK cinemas from July the 7th and hits US cinemas and... Disney Plus premiere access from July the 9th. So another film that we watched recently was Universal's Nobody, directed by Ilya Naishula and written by Derek Kolstad. The film stars Bob Odenkirk, Alexei Sobryakov, Connie Nielsen, Christopher Lloyd, Michael Ironside, Colin Salmon, and Rizza. The film uh, is was in UK cinemas, it might not be now, but it will be coming to home video very, very soon. And the film centres on Bob Odenkirk's character, Hutch, who is a retired... Nobody. Nobody. Uh, in fact, the official synopsis is a bystander who intervenes to help a woman being harassed by a group of men becomes the target of a vengeful drug lord. I love IMDb synopsis, because sometimes it's like the cryptic version of what a film's about. A man enters a room and does something. The end. So as we said earlier in this podcast, this film's written by uh, Chad Colstad, who is uh, the creator of the characters from the John Wick franchise, and this is very much a kind of emotional cousin to John Wick, and they have actually said that they could, despite the fact that John Wick is Lionsgate and nobody was universal, they are still produced by the same team and could cross over in the future. Mm. That kind of gives you an idea about what this film's sort of about. Uh, Brawling, basically. A lot of brawling. What did you think of Nobody? I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah? Why were you presently surprised? It was really good. Why was it good? I just quite enjoyed it. Did you enjoy the violence? I do like a bit of violence. Did you enjoy the gentle comedy? I do like a bit of gentle comedy. And wasn't it hilarious when I pointed out to you that um, Hutch's wife, Connie Nielsen, was Hippolyta from Wonder Woman, and you went, no. Oh my God, it is. I know. Who knew? So you're not just bad with names, you're also bad with faces. Well, they all look so different. I mean, when she's in her Amazonian gear, covered in all that fur. True, yeah. she's some glamorous real estate lady. So I was really, really lucky, and Universal invited me to a press screening of Nobody, so I've I've been lucky enough to see it a couple of times. And it's one of my favourite films of this year so far. Now, there's a bold statement. Hmm. No, I think it's great. I think Bob Odenkirk is... A brilliant piece of casting for this film because he's so easily underestimated. You will obviously know him from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He's known as a comedy writer. He's not exactly known for really, really like brutal fight scenes. But he carries it off incredibly well. He does. Something like 17 months of training. I mean, it paid off. It really did pay off. He's really physically imposing. Now, I know that some reviewers have taken issue with that slightly more comedic slant to this than there is in a John Wick film. So the fact that something like um, after the break-in at their house uh, that he snaps over the fact that his his youngest daughter's kitty cat bracelet is missing and that that's the reason he goes out hunting for revenge. But what was your take on that kind of using his comedy skills 
to add a little bit of levity to an otherwise very violent and dark film. I liked it. I appreciate the comedy. It's essentially the same thing as Keanu Reeves get upset about his dog. Yes, now you pointed that out, and weirdly I hadn't even thought of that, because I don't, I don't know why, but for some reason I don't think of John Wick as having that same slight comedy slant to it. Not that I'm suggesting that killing a dog is funny, but the whole the whole idea of the, the, the snapping thing, I hadn't really pictured it being a, an analogy for that same scene. But you are very right. Do you know what I mean? I don't feel like John Wick has that comedy so much. I don't think it's as in your face comedy. No. It's just, you've got to sort of like, huh, a whole film, like a hundred people have died. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> what were your sort of favourite moments in Nobody? Oh, I don't remember. I mean, I didn't even know the boom was a politer. I liked it all. I liked the gentle comedy. I liked the violence. I liked the doctor from... I was about to say, surely Christopher Lloyd was a highlight here. I can't remember his name, Christopher Lloyd. What a man. I got quite nervous towards the end. I thought it was going to pop off. You did. You got really anxious. You, In fact, you said to me, tell me if he's about to die. Well, I could handle that. <laughs> but he didn't. You know. He killed a lot of people. He killed a lot of people. Yeah. Did it not feel like Home Alone to you, though? A little bit, but... I was going to say, <laughs> but not like... as violent, but it's probably about the same level of violence as Home Alone. <laughs> it's like Home Alone, if Home Alone were R-rated. Home Alone meets Back to the Future, an alternate reality in which they kill lots of Russians. I have just completely shit myself, because the cat has clearly had a nightmare and just jumped six foot off the desk. He did that to me earlier, he woke up and went... <laughs> Oh, okay. Let me just put my heart back in my chest. Oh, clutch at puddles. <laughs> I think the other thing that's really nice about Nobody is the fact that when you're in a, a sea of sort of big CGI blockbusters, this is very much... Uh, I keep saying street level. I've said that a lot in this podcast. You're, you're very street level today. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? It's it's very It's very real, apart from the kind of heightened violence. But there's, it's not, you know, people aren't flying around on wires. There's not tons of superpowers, lasers, bright colours. It's just, it's it's gritty. It's, I suppose you didn't get this because we watched it at home. But it when you see it in the cinema, particularly the third act when they're, they're taking out hundreds and hundreds of the Russian mob at the, the factory. I mean, that was shaking my seat because those punches and gunshots were so loud. So it's a, it's a... It's a chest buster of a film when it comes to the, the sound design, which I just love. Yeah, we don't get that at home. No. Okay, so are you ready? I'm not asking you for a score, don't worry. I'm only, I was only asking you for a score on, on Black Widow. But would you recommend Nobody to a friend? I would recommend it to a friend. <laughs> I'd say, hey friend, watch this bloody film. As would I. Maybe that's what we should do from now on. Maybe it should be, would you recommend to a friend? <laughs> But then even if it's bad, I would probably still recommend it. I'd be like, oh, look, I don't like anything. So. Well, to be fair, art is subjective and what you might like, somebody else might not like, and what you do like, somebody else might not like. So yeah, exactly. always recommend it to a friend. We will keep you updated as to when nobody is announced for a home video release in the UK. At the moment, you may still be able to catch it in cinemas, but absolutely watch this film when you get an opportunity because it is one of the films of 2021 as far as I am concerned. 
I'm coming over to you, Boy Wonder, because we're running out of time for you to tell us about Rivers of London, Volume 1, Deluxe Writer's Edition from Titan Comics. Well, I won't say too much if I run out of time. I will just direct you back to our previous podcast in which I've already spoke about this book, but not the deluxe version. Just the the normal version. Would you like me to just confirm for you exactly which issues of Rivers of London this uh, wonderful collection collects? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tell I- us which collection this collection collects i do apologize i've got a really really sore throat and so i'm just i'm just trying to make it through at this point so this collects together the entire mini series rivers of london bodywork originally published in 2016 so this version is 256 pages available in stores from july the 6th 2021 so as you're listening to this podcast it's out now and In this book, CSI meets Harry Potter in this fantastic special edition graphic novel from Ben Aronovich, writer of the best-selling Rivers of London Supernatural Police Procedural Crime Novel series. This deluxe writer's edition presents the full script of the graphic novel along with the unlettered full-colour artwork, allowing the reader to read the original script and see the artwork side by side. That was beautiful. Thank you. So, what's the story of bodywork? So, I mean, it's essentially, you, you've kind of got to look at it. It's uh, sort of an in-between the book series. So, yes, if you don't know much about Rivers of London, you may want to pick up Rivers of London. Now, I had a quick scan through this, and did I see like a map of London, which is also like a timeline of this is where book one is, this is where this book is, to show you the kind of flow along the Thames of how to read the full franchise. Yeah, which is very helpful. Mm. So each book is set in a different part of London. So the first one, Rivers of London, yes, is set around Covent Garden. And then there's another one which is set in Soho. You've got North London. It's, it's quite nice. Well, if you live in London, you're like, oh, I, well, I've been there. I know we talked about this one when you, when you talked about Rivers of London in the past. I've only read the first book, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I just have so little time for books in my life. And I'm terrible with audiobooks. Just point that out. But we've got the audiobook, I think, as well. Yes, we do. What was your you saying to me? You've put three uh, off. Sorry, I was wanting you to tell me about the story of this book. Of this book or in Rivers of London? Uh, no, Bodyworks, this particular deluxe writer's edition book from Titan Comics, available okay. July the 6th, 2021. Sorry. Yeah, available on iTunes. QVC voice. Uh, so again, we pick up uh, PC Grant. It's another continuation story where he investigates a series of haunted cars. Oh, I do remember you telling me about this in a previous podcast, yes. Yeah. So again, it's a, a short sort of insight into another otherworldly sort of sci-fi, mythical, crime-solving drama-rama. I guess the idea of haunted cars is probably a lot more visual than it would be in a novel, so I can understand why this is a comic book. Yeah, it does fit in quite nicely as a as a comic adaption. What I do really like about the deluxe version is the little deluxe writer's edition. Sorry, deluxe writer's edition. <laughs> um, is that you? It gives you a little sort of it'll give you like a, a panel of the comic, mm-hmm. and then it will show you a picture of real life London and how they've oh. translated it. And you're like, oh, right, so that's a real place. Because you look at it and you think, oh, that looks really familiar. Have I been there? Then yeah. you see the picture and the sort of the story and the thoughts behind it. And you think, oh, that's really clever. It's really immersive. This could happen. Wow. My car could be haunted. 
So there's a lot of thought put into how it's presented then. It's not just... Because sometimes with deluxe editions, it's just a case of, here's the book, as you will have read it before, and then when you reach the end, you'll get like a covers gallery and then script pages. But presumably this is laid out much more organically to the story so that you can track it through. It's a much more um, visual and in-depth feel of how they've put it together. So you've got the the original panel and art, then the script, then the, the drawings, then the pictures of the locations. I was trying to psychologically, like tell you to not say put it together and say curated i'm not saying curated I'm that's what saying. i would say oh well, no i'm not you though am i sounds it's like a, a beautifully curated book it's a collage <laughs> it takes you on a visual journey hmm. from inception of ideas to on the page and this was the first of the rivers of london comics wasn't it it was yeah okay maybe right. i should really give this a go i think you should give it a go because you read the first book so you might as well you know you've got a good idea of the premise and the characters i mean it's yeah. not essential you could still pick it up and just read it that's good so you would also recommend this to maybe people that are not book readers but are comic book readers yeah so if you're uh if you're not really sure about the premise of a, a magician slash pc for the met police and you don't really want to commit to a whole book this might be a nice one just to pick up and see where you go. And one day I would love to ask Mr. Ben Aronovich when this will be brought to either a televisual series or a uh, silver screen movie. A well, motion picture, as well, it were. The peg spotted, didn't they? It was this, wasn't it? I always confuse that with Sandman Slim because they're your two favourite books and I forget which is the one that was bought by Peg, but I'm sure it was Rivers of London, yes. It was because the other man bought Sandman Slim. I can't pronounce his name. Yes. The Hellboy Man. Hellboy Man? Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, I can't see his name. Guillermo. <laughs> Pretty much. So where can the listeners at home pick up Rivers of London, Volume 1, Bodyworks, Deluxe, Writer's Edition? Well, I assume they can get where all good comics are sold. You absolutely can pick this up where all good comics are sold, available from July the 6th, 2021. I say that, this podcast is releasing on July the 7th, so available now is what I should really say. So before we wrap up this week, I just wanted to talk quickly about Disney and Pixar's Luca. It was released a couple of weeks ago. It was originally set to release in the cinema, but has released directly to Disney+. Plus, Not via Premiere Access, so it's available to all Disney Plus subscribers. You've not had a chance to watch this yet. I was given a sneaky peek of it by the team at Disney+, Plus, which again, I was very, very thankful for. It stars Jacob Tremblay as Luca, Jack Dylan Grazer, Freddy from Shazam is in this. He's Alberto, and Emma Berman is Julia. They're kind of the three main characters. It also stars one of your favourite comedians, funny ladies. Maya Rudolph is in this film, along with Marco Baricelli and Jim Gaffigan. It's directed by Enrico Casarosa, who also wrote the film alongside Jesse Andrews, Simon Stevenson, Mike Jones, Julie Lynn, and Randall Green. It's the story of a young... uh, water creature he's not a fish it's not like nemo um but he's also not a mermaid like ariel amphibian so yeah it's a story of a of an underwater society and this young boy luca who kind of similar to sort of ariel in the little mermaid longs to kind of see what man's world is like and discovers that when he goes out of the water he turns into a human boy so when any of the creatures who currently live under the sea exit the sea they become human so the story is about luca discovering what life is like in man's world alongside another fish boy which is not a great way to put it alberto which is freddy from shazam and the two of them build up this lovely friendship that's sort of possibly played slightly romantically but is just a very i'm not really sure how old they're supposed to be but it's a very innocent relationship between the two of them 
And it's just a story of how they become kind of best friends, learn what life is like in the human world. It's that sort of learning to live in a new society analogy. But it's Pixar, so it's wonderful. It's got that... It's not It's not up, but it's right up there with Wally. Way. That's the kind of... The way that people seem to talk about Pixar films is, is it as good as up? Like, up is the pinnacle. Oh, it was a good film. It was, it was a good film. It doesn't, it doesn't quite reach that far, but it reaches as far as Wally for me, which you know is one of my favourite Pixar movies. <gasps> Squirrel. <laughs> well, I need to look behind me then. I know. Thank you very much. <laughs> I really need you to sit down and watch this film because you have not watched it yet. The one time we... What happened when we started watching it? I put it on and something happened. I think my mum phoned. <laughs> Probably. And three days later, I came off the phone. I hope she's not listening to this because you'll be in trouble. <laughs> the animation style in this is lovely. It's featured in one of the Pixar shorts that's also on Disney Plus, where they talk about how they they will send animators to locations similar to that in the films to pick up some of the local details and some of the nuances around there. So it feels like a very well realized part of uh, Italy. I think it is. And Conceptual. Yes, it's very well conceptualised. In fact, the town square even sort of reminds me of the town square from Aquaman. You know when they do mm. the the kind of like the dolphins in the in the say pond in the fountain, and she eats a rose or whatever it is that she does. Yeah, ooh. The, the town square looks similar to that. There's a lot of inspiration there from sort of classical Italian architecture. So what I'm hearing is they've curated a sense of all these images and locations into this fantastical area yes it's very well conceptualized uh, the characters are really really sweet the voice actors are all really brilliant they're well cast in this film and there's a there's a there's a nice story it's a it's do you know what i'm gonna say i'm gonna say it's a perfect sunday family film oh that's what i'm gonna say and i actually don't think i need to say anything more than that like mrs doubtfire <laughs> yep that's a sunday film isn't it it is it's a group of films that were class. That's a Sunday afternoon film. Okay. Now tell me, does he live on the second floor? <laughs> this is the sound of me putting my head in my hands. Uh, no, his name is Luca, but he does not live on the second floor. Oh. He lives probably two floors below because, you know, underwater. Mr. Trick there. <laughs> yes. Yes, they did. There's a really, actually, the last thing that I will say about this film is that there's a really lovely score here, uh, which I actually can tell you that I don't know who it is. So I'm going to look it up right now, and this will come as a surprise to me mm -hmm. as I read it. I don't have an inkling as to who I would say it would be. Because you know what I'm like, where I'm like, ooh, that sounds like a, insert name of composer here. It was Dan Roma. I do not know Dan Roma. Oh. That is a new name on me. Composer for... Superman and Lois. <laughs> Who knew? Not you. Not even an inkling. No, not an inkling at all. He also composed music for Finders Keepers, Losers Beasts Weepers. of the Southern Wild. He's also a producer on uh, Sean Mendes's Treat You Better, apparently. Who? Composed music for My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, The Little Hours and Chasing Coral. Wow. So DCTV has started to um, clearly diversify its composers because for a long, long time, all of like Arrow, Flash, Legends, Supergirl were all composed by Blake Neely. 
so I just presumed that Blake Neely was overseeing Superman as well, but clearly they're diversifying. Uh, hats off to you, young man, because I love the music in Superman and Lois as well as I love the music in this. So, you know, there we go. Luca, available now on Disney+. Plus. Go and watch it. I'm now very tired and I've lost my voice. But we are at the end of this podcast. Whee. So, word of warning to the lovely listeners at home. We are taking an extra week's break before the next episode. Oh. Martin's ecstatic because it means that in two weeks' time I won't be telling him it's time to podcast. You need to get an extra Sunday film day. You do. But it's for a very good reason. When we return in three weeks' time, which will be week beginning the 26th of July. Why is the 26th of July important? Oh, I don't know. Somebody popped out. It's my birthday. We will be back to discuss a certain film. What film is it? It's a film we've already discussed in this podcast. It's Mrs. Doubtfire. It's not Mrs. Doubtfire. No. I was going to do it there. Go on. No, I'm not going to do it. Go on. No. Yeah, you've got to do it now. No, I can't. I've destroyed the microphone. People will literally now start tweeting me and asking me to get you to do an impression of Mrs. Doubtfire. So I'm afraid... You'll have to wait for three weeks. Well, if you would like to tweet at Martin to beg him to do his Mrs. Doubtfire impression, it's at boywonder1989 on Twitter. As always, if you would like to talk to me on social media, it's at Neil Vag. But anyway, as I was saying, when we return in three weeks, which is week beginning the 26th of July, my birthday if I didn't mention it, we will be catching up on James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Due for release in the UK on July the 30th and the US on August the 6th. So that is why we're taking an extra week's break so that we can line up with the release of Warner Brothers' The Suicide Squad. I am possibly, he says, optimistically, with his fingers crossed, attending a uh, Zoom press conference with the cast of the film. I won't be able to record it. There won't be any one-to-one interviews, but I will bring you anything exciting that I can from that chat with Idris Elba, Margot Robbie, Sylvester Stallone. Yes, Sly Stallone is going to be there, as well as James Gunn and producer Peter Safran. Basically everyone, the entire cast is going to be there. Joel Kinnaman, Jai Courtney, everyone. I will forget names, that's why I'm stopping there. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. Just a quick shout out from me. You can also catch me talking about Batman Returns on the most recent episode of the Consistently OK podcast. You can catch them on all major platforms. I sat down with Luke and Nick who are doing a uh, deep dive on Batman movies to talk about Batman Returns. They deeply regretted it because it is my favourite film of all time. And the like hour recording session took like four hours, unfortunately. It was like a Snyder Cut because I talk so much. So you can catch me on there. Poor guys having to listen to you for four hours. It wasn't four hours, it was two and a half. It was a long... I mean, I, I got some serious couch time. We'll see you in three weeks. Bye! Bye!